Welcome to Agency Nation Radio, where insurance professionals turn on the mic and share unscripted stories about leadership, technology, marketing, success, and failure. The stories that help make them the professionals they are today. Agency Nation Radio is presented by the Big Eye and Trusted Choice. I'm today's host, Cassandra Cagle, commercialized producer with Eastern Insurance Group in Massachusetts and member of the Big Eye National Young Agents Committee. Today, we're joined by two very special guests, Max Revenue, half man, half meme, 100% producer, and Micah Salas, Senior Vice President at Christensen Group Insurance. Together, they created the Producer Playbook, a video course from growth-minded insurance professionals. As producers in the trenches of the hard market, they're here to share sales stories and strategies and advice for the often grueling process that goes into building a book of business from scratch. So welcome, everybody. Max and Micah, can you guys share a little bit about how Max Revenue got started? Yeah, so basically, long story short, I guess this was towards the end of 2022. And um, I basically created this anonymous account on LinkedIn, just sharing the ups and downs of what I was going through as a relatively new producer. And, and just to back up a little bit, Micah and I used to work at the same firm. And I remember we were on a sales call one day and he was basically the only advocate on the call the only person on the call that was advocating for cold prospecting and cold outbound. And I just liked what he had to say. And uh, I reached out to him. And for three years, he kind of mentored me and told me what to do, but I didn't really listen to him because uh, I tend to be a little on the hard-headed side. But anyways, fast forward over time, I had had a rough go of it my first three years and uh, just decided to start implementing what he was talking about. And started to experience some success. And so I reached out to him and said, hey, man, um, I created this account on LinkedIn. It's getting a lot of traction. What I'd like to do is, will you come in with me and kind of partner with me on this thing? Let's take what you know from the cold prospect and cold outbound and, you know, provide credibility. And I'll just kind of do the marketing and put a nice little bow on it. Yeah. So it has taken off you know, on Twitter and LinkedIn. And we just kind of, we both left the old agency and started over from scratch. And so we're just kind of taking people along for the ride as we're in the trenches of rebuilding our books. And so it's just kind of, a, you know, part commentary on the industry, part like peek over the shoulder. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're experiencing. Here's the ups and downs. And um, yeah, that, that's kind of my take on it. Awesome. Well, let's dig in. So first question for the two of you, what is the craziest thing you've done to get in front of a prospect? Yeah. So, man, I haven't done anything super, super crazy, but this is kind of a little bit out there. I guess you could say I was um, probably year two in my insurance career. I was going to eat lunch and uh, pull up to a Jimmy John's <laughs> and you know, these food places have like the bowl where you can throw your business cards. Well, anyways, I saw one in the bowl at the top. And it was this prospect, this plumber that I'd wanted to get in front of. And I pulled the card out, you know, took a picture of a cell phone. And then I called him on a cell phone and he asked how I got a cell phone. I said, Hey man, this is crazy, but I was at Jimmy John's and your card was on the top. And anyways, I had to take advantage of it. And, uh, he laughed and anyways, he ended up being a client, but that's probably the, 
kind of funniest story I would say that uh, that that's helped me get in front of someone. Is that is that legal? I'm not sure that that's legal. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not advising that, so don't don't take my <laughs> advice if you're listening. But it worked. That's all I can say. So I've got one. I I don't know if it's uh, better than that, but I would say it might be also partly illegal. Um, or the legality of it might be questionable. So I uh, have a tendency to be a little bit of a contrarian. If everybody else does X, I do Y. Sometimes it helps. Sometimes it totally bites me in the butt. Uh, but I decided I had the uh, amazing idea that during COVID, while everyone else was staying at home and working from their home office and, you know, not in, I decided that I was going to hit the road. So uh, I brought a little mask with me and I started doing drop-ins and um, you'd be surprised how many people took a meeting. You know, we're in the middle of the pandemic and I'm doing drop-ins in person and uh, it was definitely zigging when other people are zagging. I never got thrown out of a single office. Uh, I was actually only ever asked to, you know, put on my mask once. Uh, but yeah, I got quite a bit of meetings that way. So that's probably the greatest thing I've ever done. Well, those are definitely two stories I was not anticipating. <laughs> um, <laughs> but let me let me run to the next one. Um, so how much time do you guys spend prospecting? And how much of that time is spent online versus the phone? Obviously, you know, Max, I mean, you just said you did some in person. So what, is, what does that look like for you guys right now? For me, you know, I would say it, it tends to be at least 50% of my time is, is prospecting. Um, I've as Max had said, we both left the agency and trying to rebuild our books. So I think year one, it was probably 80%, but now I've, I've built, added some clients over the last couple of years. And and so then that comes into play as well. And just other stuff like education and all that. But, but yeah, I would say I really do strive for about four hours a day of cold calling. And that's kind of what I've used to build my book. But so about two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, and then additional things I'll do some emails and, you know, uh, LinkedIn might be 20 minutes a day, 15, 20 minutes a day. Um, so that's pretty much what I stick to. Uh, I'd say the only days that I don't follow that are Fridays. I've, I'll admit this ever since getting into the insurance world uh, industry, I have pretty much not worked Fridays past like noon. So I kind of fit the stereotypical producer, but I figured, Hey, if I work really hard Monday through Friday morning, you know, I can kind of relax a little bit in the afternoon on Fridays. Yeah, I would say I follow a similar path. I I'm not nearly as disciplined as Micah is. I'm a sucker for distraction and falling down rabbit holes. But if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, um, I, I would say that I'm probably somewhere in the two to three hours a day prospecting. And I also am 95% cold calling that. And just that's kind of at the root of all of our content. And we can get into this if you want. But it's basically when I was brought into the industry, it, it's introduced to me as like you you leverage your network to open doors. And while I think that does work for some people, um, and it definitely worked uh, back in the day, but you know, thanks to this uh, new technology called the internet, now every business owner, if you're a mid market producer like Mike and I. Every business owner is connected to 10 to 15 different brokers or agents, whatever you want to call it. So then the question becomes, well, how do you stand out and become the guy or gal that gets the call? 
you know, and I think that for us, our playbook is cold prospecting. And in our industry, for some reason, you know, that kind of gets frowned upon or maybe looked at as less than, or, you know, if you have to cold call, then you're, and you're not working off referrals or your network, then you're doing something wrong. But I actually think that's why, I think that's the main catalyst behind why we have a 90% failure rate. And I don't know if that's the exact percentage. I mean, you hear different numbers, but, you know, long, long story short, a lot of producers fail. And I actually think that that is a, a, uh, a big reason why is because we have newer producers, this generation that's coming in, they look at the older generation and how they did it, and they try to mimic those things because uh, that's what I did, and then they fail. And I think that cold prospecting is the antidote uh, to that problem. So that's a long-winded answer to your question. But for me, it's 25 to 40 calls a day. Sometimes that takes two hours. Sometimes it takes four hours. And sometimes I just don't execute that because uh, I get distracted. But that's that's the goal anyways. So what would you say when you're doing the cold calling? Are you calling, I know a lot of producers recall uh, companies that are, you know, in the workers' comp pool or stuff like that. I mean, do you guys focus on uh, like a certain pitch, so to speak, or, or anything like that? Or are you just straight cold calling? Yeah, you're right, uh, Cassandra. A lot of people do focus on, you know, people with extremely high experience modifiers. What I'm trying to focus on is um, I do niche down, not like micro niched, but I get down to pretty much construction. So various forms of contractors. And then within that, I'll have some, you know, different categories that I'm more comfortable calling. But so that's kind of who I'm calling. And then, um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily call off of like, you know, experience modifiers. I pretty much go off of X dates and, you know, it's, it's very old school sounding, but I'm not chasing X dates per se. It's, it's typically about five months prior. I'm trying to call six months prior. I try to call and get, get my foot in door. And my pitch is really based around um, how do you know what you don't know? Right. And that's kind of the question I think at, at its core, every business owner I found that's, that's their, most are happy with their agent, but they still have that like little lingering doubt. Like is what my agents telling me really accurate or am I in the best spot possible? And so I try to kind of prey upon that little sliver of doubt. And my pitch is more based around due diligence. And would you ever be open to a conversation around due diligence? And that's pretty much it. It's very simple. And, um, and I know in saying that most people are still going to be happy. And I think anyone who makes cold calls, you just got to know that mentally, like, you know, most of the people you call are going to be happy, don't want to talk to you. And you just got to be able to get past that. Um, but I found the due diligence is a great way to kind of spark the interest of CFOs and business owners and kind of capture their attention a little bit. Because again, like I said, everyone has that little bit of that little voice in their head, like, Hey, am I really in the best spot possible? So that's what I've used. Yeah. Just to echo what he says, if we're doing it right, I think what we're looking for is a broker of record letter instead of quoting. Now that to be said, if you have a, you know, an exclusive market, or if you've got, you know, a silver bullet and you can play that angle, then by all means play that angle, because, you know, that's the Holy grail. But if you don't have that, then it comes down to, you know, kind of what we said earlier about like, how do you break through the noise? It's having the right message at the right time to the right person. And, you know, the ugly truth is, is cold prospecting uh, is a volume game. And so it is coming down to finding the guy or gal business owner who has pain or is at least willing to take a look under the hood because there's a little bit of uncertainty there. 
And then so we're, you know, basically trying to open that door and uh, walk through the process together. And we have, a you know, kind of a process to do that. And then ultimately, the goal being, you know, position for the BOR be viewed as be be anchored to value instead of to, to price. And then if they like what we have to say and they like what we present, then, you know, hey, here's a BOR. This is what it would look like to work together. And if they're not interested in that, then then that's fine, too. But. You know, I think unless we have an exclusive market or a silver bullet, we are looking to to be more of a trusted advisor and position for the BOR based off of adding value, um, not quoting. So that's that's our gig. Couldn't agree with you more. I do the exact same thing. So I definitely think what you're doing is wonderful. Now, we have a lot of newer listeners as well um, with these podcasts, a lot of younger producers. So what would you say is a common rookie mistake you see young producers making? Um, you know, we we try to help young agents, young producers as much as we can. So what's something maybe to tell them, you know, hey, we did this, don't do this? <laughs> yeah, I'll jump in here. I think for me, one thing I did is kind of you take advice from everybody and I try doing a million different things instead of sticking to kind of going all in on one way of doing things and not saying you're not open-minded to other ways of getting better, but, but really kind of going all in and being committed to whatever path you want to take. Right. And so for me, a couple of things where I was kind of spread out was the industries I was focused on. And once I really got honed in on construction, it, it helped me a ton. And I came to that conclusion based on, Hey, what am I comfortable with? Um, so when I joined my last agency where I was at for seven years, you know, I was new there. I came from a direct writer and and anyways, the insurance world's a huge space. And so for me, I was like, what should I focus on? Should I do oil and gas? Should I do manufacturing this? And I was trying to do all that at first. And I just got back to the basics. And I was like, no, let's stick, get back to the basics, focus, focus on contractors. Our agency's strong in that. We have the good market relationships. And that's kind of where I uh, really, really honed in on. And then the other thing is just, again, committing to the cold calling for me personally. It was like we were told the agency I was at was trying to tell me to do things a certain way. I was kind of trying that, just feeling very uncomfortable even they were giving me scripts to use and it wasn't really working. And I, again, I went back to, okay, what, what am I comfortable with and what's worked for me in the past? And I, I stuck to that and tried it and it started to just work really well because it instilled a lot of confidence. And I'm, I'm not saying this to say that like whatever your agency is telling you, you should just disregard, but I've heard horror stories from, from newer agents where they're like, my managers tell me to do this. It doesn't feel right at all. Or I'm just, you know, I have no confidence when I talk and I think how you do things how you say things and how you do things uh, is just as important as what you're saying. And if you're extremely unconfident talking to a prospect, a business owner, they're going to pick up on that. And so it, it, it bleeds into everything, that confidence level. So whatever you can do to in, increase your own confidence level, uh, which for me personally was picking a niche, picking a cold calling style that worked for me. Um, it really, really helped me a lot. Yeah, to echo Micah's point. So two things, uh, I would say that there's kind of two big mistakes. Um, one being picking a path and number two being volume. So on the picking the path thing, like Micah said, I am by, I am not a million dollar producer at this point in my career. And, and I don't speak from a place of expertise. I'm speaking uh, from, from a place of, well, I've, I've failed every way that you can fail, basically. So I can, hey, here's the pitfalls that I fell into. Here's how to avoid it. So same thing as Micah, like when I got into the industry at 35, I had always been in sales and I had been successful everywhere I went. 
And then I get in here and I'm like, all right, well, let you know, how do I do this thing? And I had come from a hard, uh, pretty uh, hardcore uh, cold calling background. Yet everybody in my office kind of did the networking thing, the, you know, centers of influence. And so I tried to do that. And I, where I live uh, and where I produce is not where I'm from. So I don't really have uh, that network. So it didn't work out for me. And then, you know, you, you just hear competing advice, like, should I niche or should I be a generalist? Should I sell with BORs or should I quote? Should I cold prospect or should I, you know, network? And you hear all this competing advice to Micah's point. And then you, or not you, but I speak from my experience. What I did was, is I kind of took a little bit of everything. One week I'm trying to position for the BOR. The next week I'm like, you know, I get an opportunity to quote. So I quote, and then I ended up just, I didn't have a system and I just had this Frankenstein process and it just, it just absolutely did not work. And it wasn't until I just started to do the basics, you know, like what Micah said, my strength is cold prospecting. So I, you know, pick a niche, build a lead list of three to 400,000 leads, try to make 25 to 40 calls a day, position for the BOR. And that's my process. And so kind of stopped following what I saw around me and just doing what I knew that I could do and picking one path. And then comma, the, the, the thing that same with me and the, and the producers that we talk to on a regular basis is, is if you are going to go that cold prospecting route, then you have to realize that the way that you make that work is volume. And I think that myself uh, and a lot of new producers underestimate the volume of cold prospecting that it actually takes. And so failure ensues. And it and it's logical, right? Because if I'm a new producer and I see that head down the hall is writing business uh, networking, but you know, someone else is telling me that cold prospecting is the way to do it. Which one do you think I'm gonna choose? I'm gonna choose the, the networking because it seems easier. It looks like the path of least resistance. But if you're not Ted and you don't have Ted's network or you weren't tapped on the shoulder by somebody and brought in on deals, well, then that's not gonna work from you. If you're truly building from scratch and you don't have a crazy network or you're not, you know, have some big center of influence in your market, you gotta do something different. And uh, and and it's got to be a volume play. So that's that's what I would say. Yeah, definitely. Um, you you kind of both have mentioned it, so I wanted to ask, um, Micah, you had said that you know nine times out of ten with the cold calling, they don't want to talk to you. They're happy with their agent. You know, they just they may hang hang up on you or, or whatnot. So how would how would the two of you say that? you've worked on, you know, overcoming failure, you know, you make those 25 to 40 calls a day and every single one of them hung up on you. Uh, you know, how do you keep going and, and doing it the next day? Cause I know I run into that. So, so how do, how do the two of you, you know, work, work to, to get to the next day? Sure. Sure. Great question. And something I think everyone struggles with and, and Max knows this, you know, he makes fun of me for being a, a, a meditator and you know, listening to Ram Dass and people like that. But anyways, the whole reason I think all that stuff helps me and probably helps other people, whether they know it or not, is uh, mindset, right? And um, so for me, I was doing this kind of without even knowing it way before I started meditating. But I little had I had a little sticky note back uh, when I first got into insurance on my desk and it said IDGAF, which is I don't give a, you know, you can guess the last F word there. But and it wasn't that I didn't care, but it kind of got to me. I kind of got to this mindset of like. 
you know, we, we hear a lot of people talking about detaching from the outcome and that. And I think that that's where it really comes into play is like, hey, I can't control what other people say on the end of the line, right? All I can do is control um, my attitude and my my effort, my actions. And so um, is if I can get my mind right and just understand like, hey, I, there's a, so much things I can't control. All I can control is this. And even if they get, if I get 50 no's, it, it, it doesn't matter, right? Because it's just... Um, it's, it's, it's part of the process, right. And kind of getting your head around understanding that, um, again, most people you call are just not going to be interested. If you know that going into it, I mean, there's another thing people say like, Hey, that's just the nature of things, right? So the nature of cold calling is you're going to get rejected. So if you know that going into it, there's no reason to get upset about it. There's no reason to get your feelings hurt. There's no reason to get cold call reluctance about it. Um, and, and so that was a, a major shift for me. And then, you know, that also instilled confidence in me too, because that was another thing. I would be calling people and I would get intimidated. I see the letters CEO or CFO and I'm like, oh man, I'm kind of nervous to call them, right? Happens to all of us and still happens to me sometimes. But that has improved immensely when I got my mindset right. And when I kind of detached from things and also would kind of just play little mind tricks with my myself. So like thinking like, they're, they're just a normal person, right? They're just like me. They do everything I do. They brush their teeth, put their pants on like I do. They're just a normal person, you know, that happens to be CEO of a company who cares, right? They say they face the same problems. We're just human at the end of the day. And so I think um, some, some little tricks like that in my mind have, have helped me. And, um, and yeah, that's something I don't think people talk enough about. We talk so much about scripting and what to say and objection handling and that stuff does all help and it can all be important. But again, if, if you don't have that foundation of a, of a good, healthy mindset, you're going to give up on cold calling pretty quickly, I think. Yeah, echo what Mike is saying. Um, my old man used to tell me, everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time, just like you. So when you're calling these people, you know, you're a peer. You're, you're not a vendor. You're only a vendor if you act like one. Um, and the, the way I like to look at it is, is, you know, sure, you, you can say, oh, well, you got to make 99 calls to get, you know, one meeting or, or whatever. But I look at it like if you flip that on its head, I look at, like to look at it as like you're you're, you're kind of digging for gold, right? Like you're looking for buried treasure. There is 100 percent. There is somebody out there that is in pain and is willing to take that call from you and will literally meet with you today because they need help. And all I got to do is just go find them. Am I willing to sift through the dirt to find that nugget, you know, that's just sitting out there? And it is out there. I, I don't, you know, it's it, especially in this hard market, there are plenty of people that are willing to meet with you. You just got to sift through the rocks to find the gold. Um, and then back to your original uh, point, Cassandra, talking about getting hung up on. I think that's another misconception about cold calling is I think if you're doing it well, I don't think you get hung up on, Right. I actually, you know, most ever, if I make 200 calls in a week, I might get hung up on once. The rest of the time, it's we're having a conversation. I'm not hard selling. I'm not trying to, you know, push anybody into a corner. I'm just having a conversation with them about their insurance program. And I almost never get hung up on. They they may not be interested. It may be a no or not yet. But I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not getting hung up on. And I know Mike is not either. So, uh, and then when you take that no as it's not uh, a no to you, it's just a no to your proposition. It's not personal. 
then, you know, kind of rolls off your shoulders. Not really a big deal. One other thing I'd, I'll jump in and add that I didn't mention is um, I keep something called a follow-up later list. And if you follow me, you know that I'm a, a staunch uh, believer in this. But basically, it's it's this. Everyone I call that uh, says either, yeah, call me back or, yeah, let's meet, of course, goes on a list called a follow-up later list. And I up I update it daily, print it out weekly. You know, it's it's on a piece of paper right in front of me. Company name, their X date, and the premium size. And what the reason for that is, yeah, a lot of them end up flaking out, right? People say, call me back and they flake out or they ghost you, but it does something for your spirit and for your like enthusiasm in your mind. When you're like end of the week, you're like, man, I said zero meetings. I got hung up on, I, whatever, no one, you know, one wanted to meet with me, but wow, I talked, I did talk. I added seven people to my follow-up later list. Seven people said, yeah, call me back next week. Now I know some will flake out, but it kind of gives you that little glimmer of hope because in this industry, if you're selling to middle market companies, you will go on gaps of, of, you know, you could be months at a time without a sale, but you can still hit your yearly goal. You can still have a great year and, and have, you know, half that year be a desert in terms of new sales. So that list, uh, I call it just a follow-up later list really does a lot for me and some other people that I've mentored to and, and showed it to. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Um, what would you guys say is the, like, what's your icebreaker when you get the get the gatekeeper, you know, like you get the administrator or you get the general manager or whomever it is, like how do you get through that gatekeeper and get to that CFO, that CEO? Um, any advice for those newer producers, stuff like that? I mean, that's always the hardest part. You know, you get their gatekeeper for a reason. They're doing their job. So, you know, how do you guys how do you break the ice and, and get through that next person? All right, I get. I'll, I'll. I got two words for you. All right, maybe it's three words. Cell phone numbers. If you can, and this is kind of a paradigm shift, but if you can get the cell phone number, not that the gatekeeper is going to give it to you, but a lot of agencies has have access to Zoom info, or you're picking up business cards like Micah did earlier. Instead of calling the headquarters, you call the cell phone numbers. You'd be surprised how many business owners would take your call. Now, I realize that not everybody has that luxury of having a Zoom info or an Apollo or whatever these different databases where you can pull cell phone numbers. Um, but if you do have to go through the gatekeeper, a couple of things. Number one, first one's kind of gray hat. You can decide whether you like this one or not. But uh, I'd like to go through the sales department. I ask for sales. And then I ask for the person I'm trying to reach. Because that salesperson, the person in sales, he's probably not trying to uh, put up a wall. Uh, number two, call during lunch or after hours. And then number three, um, direct mail. Great way. Lumpy, lumpy mails, what they call it. Um, you know, handwritten letter with some type of little tchotchke in there. So it's not just a flat envelope. So guess what? When that gatekeeper, when they get the mail in and they have this oddly shaped package, guess what goes on top? The lumpy mail because they can't sit mail on the top of it, right? It has to be on the top. And when it's personally handwritten, hand addressed to the decision maker, they're gonna open that. It's probably not gonna go through the gatekeeper. Um, and then if none of that works, at the end of the day, uh, cold calls today equal warning calls tomorrow, right? So you've called that gatekeeper for the third time. You've uh, written her name down in your CRM. You remember her name or his name. You treat him like a person, you're kind, you take no with uh, respect 
And um, you'd be surprised after a while how many will end up letting you through when they real when they get to know you and you treat them like a person and they realize that you're not this, you know, some telemarketer trying to uh, use and abuse them. So that's the few things I'd say on the gatekeeper. Uh, I would add to that. Um, I'm pretty direct. So gatekeeper typically picks up, you know, and they'll, they'll say, Hey, I'll ask for John. Hey, is John in? who is this? It's Micah. Where are you from? You know, same agency. And they're like, no, he's busy. Or what's this about? I'd be like, Hey, you know, just to be totally honest with you, it's a sales call. And then be like, oh, he's busy. Right. I'm like, all right. You know, Susie, like, before I leave a message or anything, can I just ask you a question? Like, do you know, does John ever take cold calls or is he like basically married to your agent? And you'll be surprised. And so just using that opportunity to gather some more information can be really, really helpful because they might just be like, yeah, you know what? He's had the same guy for 25 years, never talks to anybody. Well, now I know, hey, I'm going to probably allocate my time to other prospects, right? That's going to be low on my priority list of who to follow up with. I'm going to focus on the people, A, I can try to get through to, but B, the people who are at least open. But uh, I found the secretaries or gatekeepers are very, very helpful, right? If you're just direct with them, you're honest with them. And gathering that little piece of asking that one extra question helps a ton. And um, because I've heard the other way, well, no, yeah, Jack does talk to people all the time. Actually, every couple of years, he will bring it. He will entertain people. What, what works best to get in front of them is, you know, fill in the blank. So that's all I would add to, to everything uh, Max had said there. Wow. Yeah, I uh, I love both of those answers. Um, and I will say the the envelope thing, that's one thing that my agency does. And Micah, I love the way you worded that, um, you know, okay, is, is he married to his agent? Um, because that's a quick super quick answer before you know the gatekeeper just stops listening altogether um and that you know isn't something that they probably hear every day so they're you know they're going to listen and might respond more quickly for you but um so i do have a final question for you guys now i know both of you have these great platforms so how did you guys get discovered max we were talking a little bit earlier i know you said you had a little bit of a story so you know let it rip. Let me, let me hear. I want the details. I want the, the nitty gritty. Um, sure. So like I said earlier, I, and I was telling you guys before we started recording, um, the anonymity thing is just way more fun, right? It just kind of like, this is kind of a boring industry just to be quite frank. So anytime you can get in there and make a ruckus and ruffle feathers, it's just, it's more fun. And when you do stuff that's off the beaten path in this industry, it just really seems to kind of make waves uh because you know i don't know a lot of sacred cows so anyways like i said i i brought micah in and i said hey michael let's do this thing you know i've struggled there's a lot of new producers who are struggling let's let's do this thing and it's like all right let's do it so we were originally under an anonymous max revenue was an anonymous account on linkedin and um turns out that LinkedIn is not a big fan of anonymous accounts. But we had, we went, it was originally a personal anonymous account. And we went from like zero to 5,000 followers like overnight uh, because the algorithm really uh, favors personal accounts. Well, one day I got an email basically saying that LinkedIn was uh, deleting my account unless I produced a uh, driver's license or proof of identity. And uh, I was not willing to do that at the time because uh, I wanted to stay anonymous. And anyways, we had to 
kind of pivot a little bit. We got our account or my account deleted. And then we ended up creating a, a business page account under the Max Revenue brand. And if you want to figure out who I am, it's not hard. You can just go look through the admin on the page and figure out uh, who I am. But um, yeah, that's it, it was the anonymity, I think, that really kind of first put gasoline on the fire and, and also just kind of the uh, direct, maybe, hickey. <laughs> This is what Micah says, uh, kind of contrarian fake on things. Because uh, people are like, well, what is this? That's it, It's like you want to, in marketing, you want to say what everybody's thinking, but nobody's willing to say. And so that's kind of what kind of what we've done, at least under the Max Revenue brand. But Micah's had a lot of success uh, just under his personal page without being anonymous. So I'll let him tell you about that. Yeah, no, I mean, for me on LinkedIn, it was just, it was a long game. Um, I started back in 2018. I posted my very first video. Uh, I was like, oh, I'm just gonna do this video. And it wasn't even about insurance. It was just about, you know, just not, not insurance related. All of a sudden, like, this is back in the day when you could put a video out and get like 15,000 views. And the algorithm was different. There was less people putting content out. And so I started to say, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start putting out stuff weekly, you know, so I'd write long form articles, I would do a post a week, a video a week, I did a lot of video, actually. And it was interesting, it's just like, everyone would start talking about it, because I think there was just so few people sharing about insurance. And I wasn't necessarily getting my my whole thing with the, the content sharing. And Max is a way more of an expert on the marketing side. But I, I did go to school for marketing, but I'm not up to his level of, uh, of knowledge and expertise. But one thing I knew is like, hey, what do people want to consume that I'm talking to? And I was, from my, from my perspective, I was always creating content for business owners. That was my goal from day one. It just so happened that all the people liking it, engaging with it were fellow insurance agents. And that wasn't the plan, <laughs> that wasn't the plan or the goal, but that's what happened. Um, but if you go back and watch all my videos, I'd say 99% and all my content, it is written towards an insurance buyer. And you will also notice it is not very technical because I don't know about you, but I know a lot of business owners I talk to, they don't have time to understand insurance. They don't want to know all the fine details. So I started talking about like, I thought like, okay, if I was talking to my brother-in-law and he was owned a company and he had some questions for me on insurance, how would I talk to him? And that was always my mindset going into it from back from 2018. And then it just kind of progressed, right? Um, I started, what I've changed the most has just been my frequency and, and, that's been the biggest thing that I've uh, implemented and also just having more fun. I think I've, I've, I'm not going to take credit for it, but I started using a lot of memes when no one was doing it really. And those would take off just insurance based memes. Like, like Max said, the industry is kind of a little boring. I mean, there, I, I, I'm still coverage nerd at heart. So I think some of those things are exciting, but, but for 99% of the things around insurance, it's just stale. It's, it's, it's very regulated. And so I was kind of just trying to have fun with it. And uh, yeah, here I am. I've been doing it now five, five, six years. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, the main thing I've done is, like I said, had more fun with it and just upped my volume to basically about five times a week is kind of what I, what I typically do now. That's great. And so to wrap everything up, what would a one sentence answer from you guys be about what your favorite thing in the industry is? I'll give you a minute to ponder. I know I didn't ask you this ahead of time, but what would your one liner be? Favorite thing? Without having a professional degree, this is one of the few industries where you can make a killing. You earn as much money as you're willing to work for. 
I love that. All right, Micah. A lot of pressure. Um, I could almost summarize it in a word. Um, Perfect. Love it. But the word for me would be freedom. But if I had to put it in a sense, it'd be like the insurance industry gives you the freedom as a producer to earn as much money as you want to, but to also integrate that with your personal life and to live the lifestyle that you want to live personally. Great. Well, thank you for tuning into this episode of Agency Nation Radio, powered by the big eye and trusted choice. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, which obviously you have, make sure you hit that subscribe button and give us a five star or leave us a review. And if you have a story for Agency Nation Radio, contact us at hello at agencynation.com. Thanks, everyone.